0: Well, if you have a Bible, um, do open it to, I think it's page uh, 1035, 1035, uh, Luke chapter seven. We're going to look at a little incident in the life of Jesus which I think is a very powerful and significant message to the church and um, it's the raising of the widow's son in Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. Now before I just share this with you, just just to put you into context, um, and that is that within Jewish thinking at the time there were only certain things that Messiah could do. Or to put it another way, only Messiah could do certain things, no one else could do it. Only Messiah could heal leprosy. And the healing of leprosy wasn't just healing, it was actually making somebody spiritually clean as well. Only Messiah could bring back sight from the blind. Only Messiah could help those who were lame walk and only Messiah could raise the dead. And so what you have in the Gospels is not all of the miracles of Jesus. Paul, sorry, John makes this very clear at the end of his Gospel that there were many more. But what you have are all the messianic signs to show that Jesus was indeed the eternal son of the living God and um, and Messiah. So this is the first resurrection that takes place. And it takes place in a place called Nain, which is still there today, it's called Nain today. Um, It's still there, it's about six miles southeast of Nazareth. Soon afterwards Jesus went to a town called Nain, And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. And a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this incident. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to all that you want to speak to us through it. Enable us, Lord, to understand what Jesus is doing. And let it be something that thrills our hearts and increases our faith in him. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Many of the things that go on in the Old Testament are in fact a foreshadow of what happens in the New. Much of what happens in the Old Testament, if you like, is a preparation ground for what happens in the New Testament, especially in the ministry of Jesus. And what's interesting is that about 874 years earlier, almost in the same place, there was another miraculous raising of the dead. And this wasn't the first raising of the dead um, within the New Testament. This was the first raising of the dead in the Old Testament, interestingly enough. It was the first raising of the dead within Scripture. And it was where Elijah raises the son of a widow at Sarapath. And Sarapath actually is, only, is roughly in the same region. This is also an only child He also met her at the gate of the city. He also gave her back to his mother. And so you see there a very powerful parallel between the two. And I want to take you to that scripture because I think it's a really significant one because I think this is a connection to the two. And it's found in 1 Kings 17 17. 1 Kings 17 17. Jesus, if you like, is moving in the footprint, the spiritual footprint that's already been established in that area. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? "'Give me your son,' Elijah replied. "'He took him from her arms, "'carried him to the upper room where he was staying, "'and laid him on his bed. "'And then he cried out to the Lord, "'Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy "'even on this widow I'm staying with "'by causing her son to die?' "'And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times "'and cried out to the Lord,' Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. I love that phrase where he says, Give me your son. I'm not having this. We're not settling for this. We're not going to take this. We're going to deal with this. We're going to present this to God. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, verse 22, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and gave him to his mother. Notice that actually that's exactly what happens here um, in Jesus' account as well. Jesus gave him back to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord comes from your mouth and it is the word of truth. Let's just go back to um, the account in Luke's Gospel. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the large crowd from the town was with her. It was Jewish burial custom that during the funeral procession there needed to be a procession out of the city gates. Now notice, in fact, that both of these healing miracles take place around the city gates. Elijah met the widow at the city gates. Jesus meets this widow at the city gates. Okay, and this is in the footprint, as I said before, of what happened before. And they need to process out of the city gates and then out of the city so it was clearly, therefore, in a defined outside area because uh, burials were seen to be unclean. And this would then be onto the site of the burial, the family burial site. And in the Old Testament, um, the, the loss of a son and the loss of an only son was the epitome of sorrow, because of course this was the end of her inheritance. And the large crowd from the town had, um, had gathered And in fact, the rabbis taught at the time that as many people as possible should gather at the loss of an only son. In fact, if you lost an only child, the whole town would come out to gather in sorrow for you in order to demonstrate the severity of the loss. I think what happens here is very powerful because what Jesus does is to allow if you like, the spirit of God in him to flow through his compassion. I want you to notice what happens here. It says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And it wasn't just a feeling sorry for her, this was a real sense of compassion a real sort of compelling compassion. And in fact, you'll notice in the Gospels that often or not, the compassion of Jesus is in fact the very vehicle for the miraculous. It's where God's power moves. And the compassion of Jesus is something that we need first if we're going to begin to see the power of Jesus secondly. We need to feel his compassion and move in acts of compassion. And it's through those that we'll begin to see the power of God revealed in people's lives. I always remember, um, and I was reminded of it again recently, of how Bill Wilson, um, Bill Wilson is a, an American minister, uh, runs something called Metro Ministries in the United States, which is an outreach ministry for children and for young people. But Bill Wilson grew up in Brooklyn, um, His mother was a prostitute and she was um, a drug addict. And when he was six years old, um, she took him out into the city center. And she said to him, "Um, I just want you to stand there on the corner. And I don't want you to move. Don't go anywhere, just stand there. And then he waited for her. And after an hour, he still waited. And then, After about six hours, he was still waiting. And at that time, a neighbor drove past and noticed him. Thought a bit odd that he should be just on a street corner, waiting there. And um, he waited on that street corner for 48 hours, um, day and night. And until um, his neighbor actually drove past again and saw him still on the street corner and then actually stopped the car, got him into the car and took him to the police um, where he was taken into care. His mother completely abandoned him and just left him on the corner of a street at six years old. But it was that action of compassion from the neighbour, who actually took it upon themselves to say, this isn't right, there's something not right here, I need to do something, because, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, if you're driving, just sort of say, oh, I'm sure there's a, a reasonable suggestion, I'm, I'm sure there's a reasonable thought, maybe it's just, I've just it's a coincidence, I've just seen him again and he was, he's been home before then, you could easily sort of say, oh, I won't bother with that, somebody else will bother with that. There's been a recent, in, in, in London, there was a recent assault, public assault upon uh, a young woman, and it took 47 cars before somebody actually phoned the police. It was actually taking place in the streets, publicly. She was being assaulted. And 47 vehicles went past, they got it all on CCTV, before somebody said, I'm going to be the one, not the one behind me, I'm going to be the one who's actually going to call the police. It's a shocking thing, isn't it? because humanly we might think, oh well, we'll leave it to somebody else. But he didn't. He took that upon himself in his compassion. In fact, the detail of that story is he didn't just dump him at the police station. This neighbor was heavily involved. He went out and bought new clothes for him. He was alongside him right the way through until he got his first placement in foster care. So he, this, this is somebody who took it upon himself to put that compassion into action. And when he did so, he invested into somebody's life. And, and Bill Wilson has brought hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. I mean, he's got an amazing ministry in the United States. But he may not even have lived if that neighbor had not acted just as Jesus acted when he said he was filled with compassion And his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the beard. It was like a wooden planked platform that they were carrying the body on. Because in Jewish um, religious thought, they, they mustn't touch the body. Because in doing so, they would become unclean. And we have that in Numbers 19, verse 11. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid fastened on it will be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. So because of that, the body was in fact um, then just kept onto a platform and I think the interesting thing here is that Jesus arrests this death he doesn't just accept it he arrests it and he stops it and the first thing he does is in fact the first thing he does he stops what's going on in the mother's heart he says to her don't cry I don't want you in your heart and in your mind to decide that this is all over And then secondly, he then stops the procession. He stops it because it's a procession of death. And he says, if you like, stop. And then to the boy, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And so he speaks into this. And if you like, it's quite a dramatic arresting of this process, of this death process. He stands, if you like, between the living and the dead. He stands in this place where he arrests this process of this boy being buried and therefore being, if you like, in the hearts and the lives of all those people in that community, dead forever. Now I wanted to take you to another passage of scripture, and this is in Numbers 16, if you have it, and verse 46, Numbers 16. If you find it, give us a shout for the page reference, number 16. 152, one, a verse, we'll pick it up actually at verse 42. That'll be 154. <laughs> But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. And then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. And then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with the burning coals from the altar and hurried to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord, the plague has started. And so Aaron did, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead. you notice that? He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. 14,700 people died from the plague in addition to those who had died because of Korah. And then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting for the plague had stopped. In other words, Aaron had taken the incense. He had taken something from the altar of the Lord, which was the symbol of atonement. And he'd run into the midst and he stood between those who were dying and those who were alive. And he stood between the living and the dead and he arrested the death, if you like. He put a stop to it. And I think acts of compassion allow God to do that in very powerful ways. There was a case um, again in the United States, again in New York, where I think it was in um, either Brooklyn or Queens, where a mother who was a drug addict had actually died in her apartment, and the two young children, I think they're both under the age of five, um, were just in the apartment, and they didn't know what to do. And so they didn't call anybody, and they didn't um, alert anyone, and nobody came to the house until um, somebody, in fact, from the local church was just doing the rounds and going around finding out how people were and just seeing if they needed anything. And they came to the house and they heard some cries inside. And they tried to get in, but they couldn't. And they managed to get um, the police involved. And matter the police and broke down the door, they'd realized actually that the the mother had deceased and had been there for a while. And the children were so traumatized and they had eaten everything in the cupboards and were just eating cardboard, they were just eating the cardboard boxes um, for food. Um, And there was nothing that they could do. And this woman who was actually a member of the church, she just sat down and she just prayed with those children and supported those children through that time. Um, And the interesting thing was, and I don't think um, the, the, the police officer knew anything about this scripture, but he just came up to her and he said, you know what you've done? You've stood between the living and the dead. Isn't that amazing? And that's what she did out of her compassion, by seeking to reach out to those children. And there is something in this, something very powerful that says, I want to stop what's going on. This is what happens in the in the account with Jesus. He stops it. He doesn't accept it. He says, No, this is not going to happen. Just as Elijah did before. Give me the boy. This is not going to happen. You won't do this. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's like speaking into this these family situations. You won't divide this family. You won't destroy this family. You won't break down this marriage. You're not going to do it. There's this kind of energy that comes out, almost where the, where the Lord and, uh, and Elijah before him shout at the devil, you're not going to do this. We're going to intervene and we're gonna stand between the living and the dead. And, um, and I think that's a really powerful thing, and I think we're called to do that as Christians. I'm just gonna leave you with one other account. This is one that touches me. It's a story by um, Tony Campolo, who's um, a man who's brought many people to faith. And in fact, one person he brought to faith was a friend of his that he grew up with from school who became a drug addict and an alcoholic and his mother refused to actually give up on him. And she decided that she would go to the church because the church, it was a Catholic church and it was open every day. And she would go to that church every day and pray for him. Um, and she did that day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. And then after about over a year of praying, um, on one really cold, wintry day, when it was very snowy and icy. She was making her way up, it quite a, a steep road, and the, the church was at the top of the hill, and she was making her way up, and she's quite elderly, and it was too slippery, and she couldn't really walk up the hill. And so she slipped onto her, on, onto her knees, and she was crawling along the ground with her knees, Um, holding onto the fence trying to get to the church to pray for her son and her son was in a car and he saw her do it and he watched her on her knees crawling towards that church to pray for him and he said it broke my heart and it changed his life and from from that moment onwards he decided to actually let go of everything that he had done. All of the alcoholism, the drugs, everything. It was a transformational time. I think God had placed him there to see what was going on. I think, I think that's part of the answer to prayer. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? But that mother basically saying, I will not allow this to happen. Give me the boy, so to speak. I'm not going to allow this to take place and the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother let's pray father God we pray for families for children for marriages we see the the passion and compassion of Jesus as he reached out to that family and to the widow of Nain and said, don't cry, and he said to the young man, get up. He intervened powerfully. We see how members of the church have over the years intervened in people's lives and stood between the living and the dead. And we pray that you would use us powerfully, Lord, in acts of compassion, acts of service, and acts of prayer to stand between the living and the dead to bring life, to bring freedom and to release to those who need it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.